from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for tuning in. Coming up on this Tuesday edition, in the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade this past summer, the Supreme Court did not outlaw abortion. The court simply put the issue back into the hands of policymakers from which it snatched the issue 50 years ago. The states are now free to uphold the sanctity of human life. However, however, the Biden administration is now pledging to go after states that exercise that right. On the day Roe was overturned, I said the Justice Department would use every tool at its disposal to protect the rights of Americans to their reproductive freedoms. And that is what we have done. And that is what we will continue to do. That was Attorney General Merrick Garland yesterday. Here's the question. Can the Department of Justice stop the states from protecting the unborn? Can pro-life members of Congress from these pro-life states stop the DOJ's harassment of their states? We're actually going to talk about that with Oklahoma Senator James Langford in just a moment. He'll also fill us in on his just-completed trip to the Middle East in support of the Abraham Accords. He'll tell us on how that is working in building relationships in the Middle East. And I played this clip yesterday of the vice president selectively editing the creator and the right to life out of the Declaration of Independence. America is a promise, a promise we made in the Declaration of Independence, that we are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Yes, selectively leaving, leaving out the fact that uh, we're endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, President Biden also took a stab at the issue on Sunday, putting out a proclamation on Sunday marking the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Just how consumed is this administration, and the Democratic Party for that matter, with abortion? Uh, it's surprising. We're going to talk about it with FRC Action's Brent Kylan a little bit later. And earlier today, and what has the credibility of a sideshow at a circus, Miguel Cardona, Secretary of the Department of Education, announced a new educational initiative, Raise the Bar, Lead the World. Our children cannot afford another round of policies that are not grounded in what's best for kids. What they don't want is more partisan politics or culture wars in education. What we do need is a collective will to fight complacency and status quo in education with the same passion and urgency we used to fight COVID. Ah, what are they masking now? By the way, who's pushing the culture wars? Now, Mr. Cardona, if, if you think parents and citizens who care are going to unilaterally stop pushing back to your woke agenda? Well, think again. You know, the left has reduced public education to a focus on kids choosing their gender and which bathroom to use. I think it's time for parents to have a choice, a choice in what is the best educational opportunities for their children. And by the way, this is National School Choice Week, and Meg Kilgannon joins me for that conversation. We'll also talk with Pastor Gary Hamrick, whose church, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, which has been at the epicenter of the debate in public education of Virginia. Well, they've announced they're launching a huge education initiative. Pastor Gary joins us a little bit later with those details. The website, TonyPerkins.com, lots of resources there for you. Be sure and check it out. Our word for today comes from Jeremiah chapter 3. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Through the prophecies of Jeremiah, the people of Judah could almost hear the sounds of the coming horses as their destruction was just about upon them. But even at that moment, God was ready to forgive and restore if they would just repent of their sins and return to him. In verse 22, he said he would heal them, but God also promises here shepherds or leaders who would lead them in the right way. That's the power of we the people. Turn to God and he will turn out the wicked leaders and establish those who have a heart for him. 
To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. By the way, don't miss this chance to get your digital copy of my new book, Jeremiah, Courage in a Cancel Culture. This 40-day study guide unpacks lessons from the prophet's bold stand for truth in the face of the cancel culture of his day. Simply text Jeremiah, J-E-R-E-M-I-A-H, to 67742. That's 67742, Jeremiah, to download your digital copy of our 40-day study guide. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland yesterday warned state legislators that the Justice Department will monitor and possibly intervene against legislation by states to ban or restrict abortion. Garland said this before a private meeting with what's called the Department of Justice's Reproductive Rights Task Force. The Biden administration has made it clear that promoting abortion is a top priority despite what the Supreme Court has decided. Now, how should pro-life states respond to any federal overreach? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma. He serves on five Senate committees, including the Senate Homeland Security Committee and the Senate Ethics Committee. Senator, welcome back to the program. Tony, always great to see you. Now, you represent one of the reddest states in the nation, uh, a state that has uh, charted a pro-life course uh, unapologetically. What do you say to your governor and to state legislators who are defending the sanctity of human life in the face of these threats from the attorney general? Quite frankly, I say the Supreme Court is the one who has spoken on this, and the attorney general of the United States cannot overturn the Supreme Court of the United States. And uh, so while the attorney general may yell and scream and say they're going to file charges on this uh, against uh, states that actually protect children, Uh, continue to be able to protect children because that is a right of every state. Quite frankly, our our nation's 234 years old. 185 of those years, uh, states have been allowed to be able to protect the lives of children. The time during Roe v. Wade is the anomaly time in our nation's history when the Supreme Court took that away from the states. It's back to the states and to the people where it should be, not in the hands of the Attorney General. So the Biden administration doing everything they can to try to keep abortion, you know, the law of the land. Now, we know latest statistics, over half of all abortions were done through chemical abortions, the abortion pill. They're, you know, to me, they're they're violating the law when it comes to the U.S. Postal Service saying that you can send these uh, drugs through the mail, even though it says you can't. Um, How far will they go and who's going to stop them? Yeah, this is the most pro-abortion president in American history. There's been no other president that's promoted abortion the way this president has. Other presidents have talked about abortion. President Biden's actually trying to increase the number of abortions in America through their activism. So that's heartbreaking in many ways because I think children are valuable, not disposable. Uh, So here's what they're trying to do, as you mentioned before. Their first tactic is they're trying to be able to turn our VA centers, our VA hospitals into abortion clinics. That was their first step. Then to be able to contact service members and say, we're going to help pay for you to go to other states uh, to get abortion, which is again against federal law. And then now it's violating federal law again on mailing chemical abortion, do-it-yourself abortion kits uh, out to people in states like mine uh, that have outlawed abortion. Said, no, we think all children are valuable. We're protecting the rights of every single child to have life. And so this is going to be a series of lawsuits. The Supreme Court is going to speak on this again and to say you can't go against what the individual states have chosen to do. But this is going to be a multi-year process to be able to speak out for the value of children. I want to switch gears, Senator Langford. Um, you're a busy guy. You're co-founder and co-chair of the Senate Abraham Accords Caucus. You're going to be leading a delegation uh, to uh, to visit these four countries um, that are involved in the accords. But first, you were at the border recently uh, that is one of the committees as on the Senate Homeland Security. Right. Um, tell us about the, the the bipartisan visit to the border. Yeah, it's been a busy past several weeks for me. I've literally been in nine time zones in the last 13 days. So if I look a little tired, it's because I am. Uh, I started out a couple of weeks ago on our southern border in El Paso and in Yuma, Arizona, meeting with the individuals there, meeting with the community leaders, meeting with the Border Patrol, uh, getting a chance to go out on a nighttime uh, where we actually were out in the nighttime and watched the Border Patrol actually catch 
two folks running across the border that ended up being Chinese nationals uh, that they had arrested running across the border. Uh, so the border is very open. The Border Patrol is doing everything that it can, but the Biden administration has got a catch and release policy to literally release people out as fast as they're being picked up. Let me give you one quick number in Yuma, Arizona. Three, this is the community folks, the mayor, the city manager, the sheriff. It's a tiny community in Yuma, Arizona. It's a farming ag community. Three years ago, they had 8,000 people in that area that illegally crossed their border in their area. This year, they've had 310,000 people illegally cross the border. That tells you the shift uh, that's occurred just in the last three years. So we're continuing to be able to focus this. This was a bipartisan group. I spent a lot of time with my Democrat colleagues saying you can't ignore the facts. We're, we're, we're looking at the same set of facts here. We've got to deal with this issue. We've got to both change laws on asylum and how it's done, but we've also got to push this administration to actually enforce the law rather than ignoring the laws they're currently doing. So that's the southern border. Let's talk about the Middle East, something else yeah. that you're quite involved in. In fact, we took uh, one of the early trips to uh, to Israel and looking at some of the dynamics there a number of years ago. That's really taken off when you look at the Abraham Accords and the relationships that are being built in the Middle East. We are living in a time that I think our grandchildren will talk about, Tony, uh, because the Abraham Accords is the single most significant Middle East peace agreement that has happened in a generation. Uh, this is the United Arab Emirates, Israel, Bahrain, and Morocco all agreeing to normalization. And when we're meeting with all those countries and asking about how's it going, what's happening, they're doing what they call the Nega Forum, where they're actually meeting together in private, working through how to work together on energy, on water, on education, on healthcare. They're working on normalization of tourism and trade. There are literally tens of thousands of Israelis that have flown directly to Morocco and UAE and Bahrain uh, in tourism and interacting with investments. This is a huge shift that has occurred in the Middle East. And while people may not have noticed it, what was negotiated three years ago with the Abraham Accords is earth shaking in that region. So when we met with the senior leaders of all four of those nations and wanted to be able to talk about what can we do to strengthen this? What can America do to continue to accelerate this? What other countries can actually join in? Uh, it was a very significant gathering uh, to be able to visit with those leaders in country and to be able to talk through the next steps. It is to America's interest to see peace in the Middle East, and it's certainly to our interest to continue to see strengthening alliances with Israel so that we can bring the volume down in that region and to be able to allow Israel to be not only recognized as a nation, but to continue to prosper. Well, and as they have conversations, they engage in economic development and they find it's mutually beneficial, not to mention from a national security standpoint for those countries, they have a common enemy, Iran. Uh, this right. is a win-win for all of them. It is. And actually, in every single one of those countries, one of the first things that came up in every single country, including Morocco and North Africa, was the threats that they're facing from Iran. Iran is accelerating their proxy terror organizations in every single one of those countries, and they continue to be able to work to destabilize. So they do have a national security issue for all of those countries working together to protect their own borders and their own people from the Iranian threat, but also the economic opportunities that's there. So it's a great agreement, and uh, we want to continue to be able to fan that into a flame so it can continue to be able to grow. Yeah, it's, it's exciting to watch that uh, unfold and uh, have played a part in some of that. Senator, always great to see you. Thanks so much for taking time to join us today. You bet. Glad to do it, Tony. Keep doing the good work. All right. Thank you. Senator James Langford of uh, Oklahoma. All right. Stick with us. More to come on the other side of the break. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. 
1 Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. And as I mentioned in um, the opening of the program, the Biden administration obsessed with abortion. Now, some would say we're obsessed with it because we're talking about it. Well, I'm talking about it because I'm not going to be silent. And this was a part of the Republicans' problem in the midterm election is that when you looked at the base of both parties, they were evenly split in terms of the priority that those voters placed on abortion, on the sanctity of human life for the Republicans, and abortion on demand, without restrictions, in many cases, on the Democratic side. Well, the Democrats talked about it. That fueled their base. Too many Republicans ran from it. Now, those who didn't, those who stood the ground and explained and defended and advanced the sanctity of human life, they did well. In fact, 11 Republican governors who not only had the rhetoric but the record down in terms of advancing pro-life laws in their states, guess what? They won overwhelmingly. So I'm not going to stop talking about it, especially when you have the Biden administration sending threats. Now, here is the, this was the same time yesterday we we played that clip of uh, the Attorney General Garland. Well, here's the Associate Attorney General, Benita Gupta, yesterday, clip two. Our message today is clear and bears repeating. The Justice Department, through the task force, is committed to doing everything we can to protect continued lawful access to abortion medication and other reproductive health services. One of the things they're doing is they're acting like Roe v. Wade, which was a manufactured right of the court, is still in place. In, In fact, the president issued on Sunday, on Sunday, I might add, on Sunday, did I say Sunday? On Sunday. He issued a proclamation 50 years ago on January 22, 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court issued its landmark 7-2 decision in Roe v. Wade protecting a woman's constitutional right to choose. This case reaffirms basic principles of equity, reinforced the fundamental right to privacy, and resolved that women in this country could control their own destinies, making deeply personal decisions free from political interference. It goes on to say that the court got Roe right 50 years ago. Really? So why did this court overturn it? It was a balanced decision with broad national consensus. Really? The majority of Americans have continued to support for for the last 50 years. I don't think so, Mr. President. And so he goes on to say, Today, trailblazers who fought heroically for Roe v. Wade 
decision, the Roe v. Wade decision, are watching the next generation grow up without its protections. Well, just a little footnote. There are 60 million that are they're not watching because they were aborted by these policies. And then he goes on to say this. My administration is resolute in its commitment to defending reproductive rights and continuing our nation's progress toward equality for all. Again, he needs to insert another footnote except for the unborn. And then he goes on. Still, we know that the only way to truly secure the right to choose is for the Congress to codify the protections of Roe v. Wade. There's nothing to codify. Roe has been overturned, Mr. President. Wake up. Well, in here, showing the trend in the Democratic Party overall is earlier today, the Democratic leader in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, clip number four. We in the Senate will serve as an inextinguishable firewall and stop the anti-women, anti-health, anti-choice bills in their tracks. So right off the bat, the House Republicans are showing us exactly whose corner they are in. Yeah, they're in the corner of the unborn, Mr. Schumer. Now, if you think this is an anomaly and that somehow this is a surprise, the Democrats have told us exactly where they stand on these issues. Joining me now to talk about the two-party platforms in contrasting this issue of life, Brent Kylan, vice president of FRC Action. Brent, welcome uh, back to Washington Watch. Thanks, Tony. Good to be with you today. You know, no one should be surprised how rabid, rabid, foaming at the mouth this administration is in promoting abortion because they actually lay all this out in their party's platform. Tony, that's exactly right. If you look through, you read through the party platforms, I've done this. I I encourage you to do that for yourself. It is laid out in the platform. Actually, many, many places um, it's talked about uh, a great deal um, and they get very specific. I mean, they they talk about in black and white. Uh, They don't want any limits on abortion. They want to codify in federal and state law protections for abortion. They want to repeal the Hyde Amendment. They, They put that there multiple places, which is that amendment that protects taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Um, and it goes on and on. But, Tony, you're, you're exactly right. This really is them just living out these stated principles in their, in their party platform. And, and he's, uh, we just played the clip of Schumer complaining about the Republicans in the House that passed, uh, you know, two pro-life bills and a resolution last week. But the Republicans are doing the same thing that's in their party platform. There is probably fewer areas that there's more of a contrast than on this issue of the sanctity of human life between the two parties. Tony, I have to agree with that. Lots of contrasts in the party platforms, but this may in fact be the starkest. The Republican Party platform starts out with the premise right there, you know, from the Declaration of Independence, that we are all endowed by our creator. Yep, there's a break right with the Democrats right there, at least with the vice president. She doesn't want to recognize the, uh, the creator. That's exactly it, Tony. The two things she left out, they actually have in their party platform. That, that's a, a, a clear contrast right there. But they also get very, very specific in defense of the unborn. They actually talk about this, Tony, as a fundamental issue and say the Republican Party is proud to be the party that stands for the unborn and for women. Then they talk about uh, supporting the Hyde Amendment, um, wanting to support legislation like the, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, which you've been uh, talking about, the, the, the need to enact other pro-life legislation like this. It specifically calls out infanticide. Um, I'm actually surprised that the Democrat Party platform isn't at least willing to do something like that, but the Republican Party platform does. Uh, It also gets very, very specific, but it's also very, very pro-life. All right, Brent, we're we're up. We're out of time. We're uh, up against the break. But quickly, if the Republican Party moves away from the life issue, what happens to uh, their SageCon voters? Tony, the life issue we've seen in poll after poll is 
one of the top two, if not the top voting issue for SageCons. If they abandon that, uh, I think, unfortunately, you're going to see a lot of voters uh, staying home and just not okay. supporting them. All right, we're out of time, definitely out of time. Folks, stick with me. I'll find out if you're a SageCon next. That was Brent Kyle. Brent, thanks for being with us. Don't go away. We're back with more after this. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back. Good to have you with us on this uh, Tuesday afternoon. Okay, we were talking with Brent Kylan, Vice President of FRC Action, uh, in the other segment. Kind of ran out of time. SageCon, spiritually active, governance-engaged conservative. Uh, key, key element of, uh, of the conservative movement, of the evangelical. About half, they represent about half of the evangelical voters in this country, which uh, bump up close to about 30%, about a third of voters. Uh, but they're the core. They're the core of the evangelical vote. And the question is, are you a SageCon? Would you like to find out? Well, I've got a way that you can do it. A quick survey will indicate whether or not you are a SageCon, a spiritually active, governance-engaged conservative, meaning you're, you're involved in this because of your faith. I might not thrive on politics. I don't thrive on politics, but I care about what's right and wrong. Anyway, if you'd like to take the survey, it's a quick survey, and you'll get the results, and it'll indicate if you're a SageCon or not. Text the word SAGECON, S-A-G-E-C-O-N, S-A-G-E-C-O-N, SAGECON, to 67742. That's 67742, the word SAGECON. You'll get the survey, get a link, take the survey, and then you'll get the results. Okay, a, uh, f- in 2021, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear a case involving a transgender high school student who wanted to use the restroom that did not correspond with their biological sex. Well, since there was no disagreement at the time among the federal appeals courts, the Supreme Court uh, was not compelled to take the case. But now, but now, uh, following last month's decision by the 11th Circuit, U.S. Court of Appeals, uh, the court ruled seven to four in favor of a local school district in Florida that barred students from using bathrooms that did not correspond to their biological sex. So there is now what's called a split in the circuits. You've got one circuit saying no, one circuit saying yes. That means that the Supreme Court is going to probably take this case up. Here with me to talk about this and its implication is Catherine Beck-Johnson, Research Fellow for Legal and Policy Studies here at the Family Research Council. Catherine, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. It's great to be here tonight. 
So this is a big issue. Um, I mean, it shouldn't be. But, you know, we're instead of talking about educational achievements, uh, the left keeps pushing choices in bathroom and gender identification. So this is what education's come to in America. But why is this case significant and what might the court do? That's right. The 11th Circuit opinion, the fact that this is even controversial is just shows exactly where we are today. But this case is really significant because, as you said, four other circuits have ruled for the transgender students that they should be able to use whichever bathroom they like. And finally, in a strike of common sense, the 11th Circuit said, actually, wait a second, they the school district isn't compelled to let a student just use whatever restroom they would like to use but rather there is a compelling government interest here to permit the school to separate the bathrooms based on biological sex to protect the privacy of the students and they have every right to do that and that does not violate the constitution now if i'm not mistaken in the bostock the bostock case they didn't address this issue, also, although it was interjected in the, uh, the, the debate. And Justice uh, Sotomayor, during the oral arguments, uh, said, you have a transgender person who rightly is identifying as a female, as a woman, and wants to use the women's bathroom. The hard question is, how do we deal with that? And, and so the court hasn't done with that. Quite frankly, I don't think it's a hard question. I mean, I think it's this is actually this is Romans one twenty two professing to be wise. They became fools. We can't even figure out what bathroom to use. But the court sidestepped it back then. They're going to have to deal with it now. What are the possible outcomes here? I, I mean, I know it's either you can use it or you can't. But this could have implications beyond just these two uh, school districts. That's right. I think that this this court has really not been shy to take on controversial cases. You know, they took on guns, abortions, climate change, all in one term. So I do think that it is very likely that the Supreme Court will take on this issue, that they will not shy away from it. But like you said, I think this really does just go beyond bathrooms. And this will really go to how compelled are people going to have to be to adhere to the transgender ideology? Will there be where will there be any freedom to have school districts, <clears throat> sports teams, anything else to be able to say, wait a second, we don't want to be compelled by the so by the Constitution, which really we know the Constitution doesn't compel that at all. But that was the left's argument. We don't want to be compelled to have to participate in this that is simply not rooted in reality. You know, we would like to help people that struggle with this. We would like to help them get grounded in reality, but we certainly do not want to be compelled to go along and participate in something that we fundamentally don't agree with. And I think as we have found out in the uh, post-Roe world that, you know, while the court can buy, you know, it's, it's great to have a constitutionally tethered court, but you know what? another 10, 20 years, we may not have a court that's tethered to the Constitution or reality. We may go back to the type of court we had in 1973 uh, that is doing the bidding of the left. So we, we, we have to go about the heart and mind. We've got to change hearts and minds through this whole debate. That's exactly right. You know, it's so important what President Trump did appointing the justices and the courts is just important. It's important we stay engaged and we vote for good courts. But like you said, we want the culture to change and we're compared and sorry, we're compelled. We care about people's souls and we care yeah. about the, what happens in eternity to these yeah. people. And so we really yeah. do want to change hearts and minds. We want to walk with them along their their life to ultimately achieve you know, getting to heaven. And so right. that's what we really want to work on. But in the meantime, it certainly helps to have the courts help us. You, you are absolutely right. Uh, Catherine, great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. You too. Thanks for having me, Tony. All right. All right. Coming up, folks, it's National School Choice Week. We talk about it next on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Lots more to come. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, 
build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back. Good to have you on this Tuesday afternoon. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, the left in this country has reduced public education to nothing more than choosing your gender and what bathroom you're going to use. I mean, what happened to training the next generation to succeed? I mean, literally, this is what public education has come to, a battle of the bathrooms. It's it's insanity. We shouldn't even be having these debates, but we are. Well, guess what? It's time to do something about it. It is time to take action. And I think this is a great week to talk about it because it's National School Choice Week. This is something that is catching on. We've seen tremendous growth in private schools since COVID, but even more so, we've seen phenomenal growth, relatively speaking, in homeschooling. Because parents are saying enough of this madness, because not only were they inconvenienced, which I think is a bad excuse to get involved, But many of the parents actually, for the first time, saw the garbage, the indoctrination, the propaganda, the demonic messages that were being encoded into their children's brains through what we call government education. Uh, It may sound strong, but it is reality, and we're seeing the effects of it. Well, join me now to uh, to discuss the opportunity that is before us is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies at the Family Research Council. She served in the Department of Education during the Trump administration. Meg, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. Can you tell that this is an issue that I am a bit upset about? I care I about tell. I can tell. And it's a good thing that it's school choice week and we can reinforce the idea that parents are the fundamental and primary educators of their children and that they should direct the education and upbringing of their children, not the government, not government agents, but parents. There are so many examples of the just 
insanity that is taking place in our public schools. And I, I really do not think it's an overstatement to say that our schools have devolved down to the issue of just choosing your gender in your bathroom. I mean, that's what we're fighting over. We're not fighting over how do we improve the science scores? How do we help them become more effective in the workplace? It's over whether or not we can hide their gender choice from their parents. That's what our teachers and the bureaucrats are involved in. But I want to get your reaction to the recent New York Times story indicating that even parents on the left are furious at the schools for hiding their children's gender confusion issues. This has been something that we, we've been working on this issue for a number of years, and we've been waiting for this moment. We, we, we know that when schools hide things from parents, it's not just Christian parents. It's not just parents with faith values. It's not just parents who understand the difference between boys and girls and that there is, in fact, a difference. Um, you know, all parents want to be involved in their children's lives and educations, and they don't send their children to school to have that role usurped by a guidance counselor or an activist teacher or anyone who is in the business of identity education rather than academic education. In part, could that be, Meg, because the parents are the ones that are left to deal with the fallout of what's happening to these children as a result of this propaganda and indoctrination? When you have issues like this one, particularly on the gender identity issue that involve medical interventions and psychological interventions that all start with the social intervention of changing something as fundamental as a child's name, uh, it's only reasonable that all parents, regardless of their political ideology, all parents are going to want to be involved in that process and are going to be rightly offended when that information is hidden from them. And that is why it is so important for us to have choices when it comes to where we can send our children to school. Because we see that without choice and without the opportunity to make a different decision for your children, these are the tactics that we devolve into. And it, it's not a good situation for children and families. All right. Well, it, it may not always apply to politics, but Newton's third law is for every action, there's a reaction. Um, the, the Biden administration pushing this crazy stuff in education I, I juxtapose that to or compare that to what happened back in 2009 and 10 when the Obama administration really was pushing abortion wholesale after the election of Barack Obama. State legislatures began to push dozens and dozens, and we've seen hundreds of pro-life laws passed in the last decade, which actually brought us to the Dobbs decision. We're seeing states now pushing back on this lunacy from the Biden administration. It's creating the same kind of momentum that we've seen in the pro-life movement. That is the kind of thing that's informing the parents' rights movement across the country. And you're going to see the same kind of local activism. Just as we had people start pregnancy care centers for women in crisis pregnancies, we see churches starting schools for communities who are in a crisis situation when it comes to their school system. And you're going to feature uh, that in the next segment with Pastor Hamrick. That's exactly the kind of thing that we've been calling on people to do, to engage, to engage in your community and start a school or run for office and make the argument against these kinds of policies that put children and families in harm's way. But it starts first with parents. Parents, it is their responsibility, as I've, I've said many times you are given both the authority and the responsibility to educate your children. You can delegate the authority, but never the responsibility. God will hold parents accountable for what their children are exposed to. So there, there are so many opportunities today, Meg, that we didn't have 10, 15 years ago with online education. Uh, there, there are just so many options that no child, no child has to be locked into a propaganda center from a state government school. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. We have more opportunities due to technology um, with, with online learning. Um, there are more and more curricular, uh, curricular programs for homeschooling families. There are more private schools that are opening, some classical education, some Christian 
some of other faith traditions. There are many, many, many options now. And um, parents really do need to carefully consider what the, the, the decision they make regarding their children's school uh, means for yeah. not just this time, but all of eternity. You're absolutely right. Meg Kilgannon, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Tony. All right. You know, Meg, this touch on something so important. You know, some parents get all worked up. I got to get my kid into an Ivy League school. I got to get a good test score. I got to get them in this this school or they've got to go through this public education system because they've got this available or they got that available. They want to play football. It's not in the private school. Meg hit it on the head. We need to look at these educational options in light of eternity. I can, I can assure you, I'd rather have a son who didn't star in football, but he's gone to heaven because he knows the Lord Jesus Christ and he was used by him and, and lived a life of abundance, meaning a life with Jesus. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That that should be the goal of parents. Well, there are pastors and churches stepping forward, seeing the need, providing alternatives to parents and children for education. And this is a great example of what I think churches across the country could do. Maybe not to the extent of my next guest, but you still have the ability to make a difference. Joining me now is Pastor Gary Hamrick. He's the senior pastor of Cornerstone Chapel in Loudoun County, Virginia. And they will open the doors this coming fall to the Christian, the Cornerstone Christian Academy. And they've already, in fact, after just announcing it, they've got a waiting list. Pastor Gary, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony. Always good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, this is exciting. You know, this is uh, Education Choice Week, and we're seeing more parents involved in their education, but they need to have options. And, uh, you know, depending on different situations, they make different options. Well, you're providing several different options for parents with the announcement that you are opening Cornerstone Christian Academy, both brick and mortar and online. Tell us about it. Well, you know, during COVID, COVID was terrible in many regards, obviously, but there were some wonderful things that came out of COVID. And um, one of those things for us was uh, an area private school closed its doors. And so we were able to buy it. It's um, it's just down the road from us in Middleburg, Virginia, 90 acres, uh, a campus that has uh, 75,000 square feet. So we're renovating it right now and uh, we'll be ready to open in the fall of 23. And it's just a beautiful location and God kind of dropped it in our laps. I mean, it wasn't free, it wasn't a gift, but nevertheless, it was something that came across our radar and we just realized, you know, the timeliness of this, because Tony, as you know, and as probably your, your viewers and your listeners know, Loudoun County has kind of been the epicenter of craziness when it comes to the public school system of late. And it's really tragic uh, what's been going on in Loudoun County Public Schools. And so um, when this campus came available, at the same time that we've seen this collision of uh, all these terrible things happening in the school system, everything from what we've learned now is the cover-up of uh, two sexual assaults uh, by, by people who had the knowledge of it in the Loudoun County School uh, System. Uh, in fact, um, indictments have just been handed down by Jason Miaris, the attorney general here in Virginia, against the, the uh, school superintendent and against the public uh, school spokesperson. So, so much is going on that this was just an opportune time for us to say, hey, we can buy this campus, we can open a school, we can give an alternative for parents to have their children educated in a Christian school with a biblical worldview. And by the way, I, I don't think what was happening in Loudoun County was an anomaly. I think that's right. that is wider spread than people would like to acknowledge. So let's talk about uh, demand. Was there a demand for a educational opportunity like this, Christian education, education from a biblical worldview? So I announced it um, almost a year ago now, February of '22 that we were op going to open a school, that we had just purchased the property. And within 48 hours, we had 1,600 students who were uh, who expressed their interest. 
And by the end of the week, I, we had over 2,500 students who expressed interest, and we had uh, over 400 teachers who sent in applications, and we weren't even ready to take registration. That was just the initial interest. Well, we've we've since pared that list down. You know, people can be enthusiastic at the front end, but it just goes to show you how how uh, incredibly interested people are for an alternative to the public school system. And our campus, you know, day one can only take a maximum of uh, 600 students. So we're we're right now uh, taking admissions. We, we've been hiring teachers. I, I hired a headmaster uh, at a Regent University. And so things are rolling. Um, we're just excited to have the opportunity to provide an alternative for people. And, you know, look, Christian school is not everybody's thing and public school is not everybody's thing and homeschooling is not everybody's thing, but we felt at least what can we do as a church to offer an alternative so that parents can educate their kids in an environment that is wholesome and that is going to be teaching a biblical worldview. Now, you, you've heard what I said going into this segment that, you know, some parents are saying, well, you know, but I, I want to get the best educational opportunities, you know. Look, I, I think getting the spiritual right and not having, having our children indoctrinated and led astray. You know, so many parents, their kids go off to college and they say, man, where they, how they, I lost them. No, you lost them before they got to college because you didn't give them the biblical foundation when they right. were growing up in elementary and secondary education. Yeah. I mean, Proverbs 22, 6 is a truism. It's not a promise. You train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, Proverbs, some people misunderstand as, well, that's a definite promise. No, because sometimes you can do your best and your kids still go off the rails. But it is a truism that if you introduce your children at a young age to the things of the Lord, and you set that example as parents, as the primary educators in the home, and you live your life for Jesus to influence them in the ways of the Lord, then yeah, by the time they go off to college, they're gonna be prepared to face the world. They're gonna have that standard and that moral compass ingrained in them. And that's why it's critical to really teach them at a young age so they can get that solid foundation. Pastor Gary Hamrick, last question for you, almost out of time, but what would you say to other pastors? I mean, they obviously might not be able to do something on such a a, a large scale as you having a, a campus automatically 600 students, but there's other things they can do. What would you encourage them to do? Well, I think one of the things that we did before we started this school, which which opens this fall, is we offered at our church opportunities for homeschool uh, families to get together, to connect, to make a network so that they had resources that they could share together. Um, that's one alternative to help just, you know, with the continuing education of our kids and I would just really encourage churches to have a strong youth ministry, a strong children's ministry. You may not be able to open up a school per se, but you can help on Wednesday, on, on midweek services if you have them or Sunday services to just come alongside these parents and, and really help the children learn about Jesus and get that solid biblical foundation. So that, we have to capture this generation or we're going to lose them. That biblical worldview is essential. Pastor Gary Hamrick, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. You too, too, Tony. Thanks. Well, we have a resource, actually, the Family Research Council. Pastors, if you would be interested in what your church might be able to do, there's a, there's a, a whole list of different ways you can be a part of this. Go to TonyPerkins.com and uh, you can find that. All right, out of time for today. It's been great having you as a part of Washington Watch. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul once again, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 